0: Come Thou Fount of every blessing To my heart to sing Thy grace
1: Welcome to the Calvary Worship Center podcast. We post these messages each week so you can keep up to date with the pulpit teachings from our church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. As we roll through the new year, are you following your resolutions? Today we hear from Pastor Nathan Pittman as he fills the weekend pulpit with a message for 2019 titled Hope for the New Year. We'll be turning to the book of Lamentations, and we'll begin in chapter 3, verse 22. Here we find fabulous promises for each new day of the new year. So let's listen to Pastor Nathan Pittman with hope for the new year.
0: Who I'm excited to be able to get into God's Word with you. If you need a Bible, we've got some Bibles getting passed out. Um, But what we're going to be in today is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. Some of you guys are looking at me like, what's the book of Lamentations? If you've ever read the book of Lamentations, you know what we're about to get into. So turning your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25. Let me just pray one more time before we jump into God's word. Father God, we thank you so much for this time that we get to dive into your scriptures and your word. Lord, we ask that your spirit would fill this place, that you give me the words to speak, that it would not be of my own making, God, but it would be of you. Lord, I want to yield myself, Lord, take control by your spirit, that we would be able to hear from you today, and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get into our study today, I just want to congratulate all of you. You have made it through another year, so give yourself a round of applause. This, this is, I'm not just doing that just to be like funny, but I mean, it's literally a big deal. When you've made it through another year, that's saying something. That means that everything that you faced in 2018 didn't take you out because you're sitting here, right? You're sitting right here, right now. Even you at Creekside, you're sitting right there, right now. 2018 has been defeated by you. It's a big deal. We have, we have completed a whole nother year. We have survived another year. And now we get to look forward to another one, right? Isn't that exciting? You guys excited about that? We get a whole new year. Now, one of the coolest things or the funniest things about a new year is the resolutions, right? How many of you already have some resolutions with a show of hands? You at Creekside, too, with a show of hands, how many of you already have a New Year's resolution? All right. I've asked that three times. This is the third time. And, there's like, not a lot of people raise their hands. They're just kind of like, I don't know, you know, it's just, it's just going to be another year. I just, I don't know. New Year's resolutions is is part of the fun of having a new year. It's part of the fun of being excited about the new year. Now, we know that the most, uh, let's say, the most popular trend or the most popular resolution is getting in shape, right? We think about the new year, automatically we think about, okay, this is going to be the year. All the other years, it didn't happen. But this year, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get the abs. I'm going to look in the mirror and be like, yeah. There they are, I see them. It has always been my goal and my desire to go to the, to the pool or a beach like during the summertime in the new year and like just not have to suck it in. That's all I want, that's all I, that's all I desire. But it's funny, I start out with this New Year's resolution, I buy protein shakes, I get the new diet and all that different stuff. But research shows us that only 20% of people actually complete their New Year's resolutions. So just like me, when we make those resolutions, some of us are just going to be pulling into the drive-thru at McDonald's again by this time next year, eating them really good French fries and crying in our shame. Like, it's so good. Why? Why? Making a double. <laughs> I'm going to be right there with you, so no shame, no condemnation. I'm going to be right there with you. Just We'll be sitting next to each other like, pass me that fry. What's even worse than that is that when we begin the new year, we start out with all this excitement, right? We start out with all this like, yes, I'm going to do so many things. It's going to be great. And then by the time we get to December, we're like, I'm so tired of this year. I'm so sick of this year. Some of you guys are thinking that right now. It's about to be the new year, and you're like, it's about time. It's about time. I'm done with 2018. I'm done with everything I had to deal with, all the stress, all the strain, all that. It can go. I'm ready for a brand New Year. Now, there's nothing wrong with being excited about the New Year. There's nothing wrong with making plans and having resolutions, all those different things. But the problem is, is that we don't know what the New Year is going to bring us. You know what I mean? Like, we get excited about these things, but we don't realize that 2019 is going to have some issues. I think for some of us, if we knew what 2018 was going to bring us, we would have tried to stay in 2017. We'd have talked to a scientist or something like that and figured out a way that we could just stay in last year or the year prior. Now, just so that you don't misunderstand me, I am excited for the new year. And yes, there are a lot of possibilities and stuff like that. But I also don't want us to be ignorant of the challenges that are going to come in 2019. Now, here's the thing. Jesus didn't promise us a perfect new year. So we can be confident that even as we enter this new year, there are going to be struggles that we're going to face. That's just the way it is. Just the way it is. But here's the good part. Even though we're entering into a new year, and if that new year brings new struggles or new problems or new challenges, whatever that may be, that doesn't mean that God becomes any weaker. That doesn't mean that God is distant. That doesn't mean God ignores us. That doesn't mean God is running from us. Even though 2019 has issues of its own, God is still who he is. Therefore, we can walk into the new year with with a swag, like, man, you know what? I'm cool with this. God's with me. I'm established in that. I have hope in that. God is walking with me. So no matter what 2019 brings, I can walk through that. I can overcome that. Now, why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because I know that right now I've popped your metaphorical bubble of a stress-free year, but I also want to give you three steps, three tips for a successful year. These tips are simple, but if they are applied, they will give you the solid hope needed to overcome anything that comes against you in 2019. Now, the title of my study is called Hope for the New Year. So like I said, we're going to be looking at Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 through 25. But before I get into this passage, I want to give you some background on what we're studying. Now, the book of Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And in this pro- in this book, if you've ever read the book of Lamentations, it is a very sad book. It's a very doom and gloom kind of book. And that's because this book is written after the Babylonian invasion of Israel. The Babylonians invaded Israel because of God's discipline, because of Israel's sin. Now, when the Babylonians invaded Israel, they destroyed from city to city until only Jerusalem was left. And history tells us that the Babylonians, when they came against Jerusalem, they besieged the city for two years, from from 588 B.C. to 586 B.C., now, if you don't know what a siege is, it basically means that the Babylonians surrounded Jerusalem and cut off supplies in the city or anything coming out of the city. So if you can imagine being locked in your house, it's like house arrest, but you can't get any supplies in or any supplies out. So as a result, the people in Israel are freaking out. Society is unraveling, so much so that they're panicking, they're hopeless, and they feel like they're, everything is crumbling around them. They don't know when... The end is going to come for them. They're feeling hopeless. Eventually, at the end of those two years, the Babylonians break through the defenses at Jerusalem, and they enter the city. And when they enter the city, they destroy everything. They take everything of value. They burn homes. They even burn the temple to the ground. And eventually, they took most of the people as slaves back to Babylon. So as you can imagine, this is a hopeless situation. This is a hopeless situation. Now you may be thinking, Nathan, I came here to church today to hear some good things. What's with all this doom and gloom? What I wanna tell you is that you may not have the Babylonian army waiting for you when you get home, but hopelessness is real today. You may be going through hopelessness right now. You may be facing hopelessness right now because of a situation. You may even be facing hopelessness because of an uncertain future or what's what's going to happen in this next year. Whatever the situation may be, hopelessness is real. We all experience hopelessness. But what I want to promise you today is that my goal is not to give you a bunch of doom and gloom. But what I want to show you is what happens when our hopelessness comes face to face with the hope we have in Jesus. That's what I want to show you today. That's my goal today in our study is that, yes, we do experience hopelessness. Yes, we do have to go through some of those things. But what happens when hopelessness comes face to face with our hope in Jesus? I want to do that by looking at three tips today. These three tips are going to help us have hope, hope in Jesus that we can overcome anything that happens in 2019. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, let's get into it. Tip number one, you're going to want to write these down if you don't have a pen, okay? This is not just like a memory thing. You got to like write it down, okay? If you got your phone, put it out, okay. Tip number one, begin each day with fresh mercy. Begin each day with fresh mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not the most positive person. Some of you guys are laughing because you're like, that's, that's me, that's why I wake up in the morning, I'm not, I'm not friendly. Not until I get that coffee or whatever it may be. Now, why is that? For me, it's because when you wake up in the morning, it's like you're automatically bombarded with all the mistakes of the day before. You're automatically bombarded with the stresses and the, the strains the things you gotta do, right? So even though you rolled out of bed, it's like, as soon as you jump out, you're like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, I got to do that today, and oh, my gosh, I did that yesterday, and you're just trying to go to the bathroom, and all this stuff is hitting you. So what, hap- what happens? When all that stuff is flooding your mind, from the moment you get out of bed, you begin to start your day with an attitude, right? It's no longer like, it's a good new day, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's like Monday morning, you know, you wake up Monday morning, you're like, Why? Why, God? You know, just sitting there, (laughs) please. We start the day with an attitude instead of joy in the Lord. Now, this is one of the reasons why I love the new year. I love the new year because it's like a fresh start, right? It's a beautiful feeling to wake up January 1st and be like, it's the new year. Everything is white clean. I am good. We can start fresh. It's start new. It's a beautiful thing. I love that feeling makes you feel like all the mistakes and the things that you've done in your past or the year prior have kind of faded away, right? But here's the thing. That feeling is available to us, not just at the beginning of the new year, but each and every day. How is that? It's by focusing on God's mercy the moment you get out of bed. So instead of waking up and going, oh, man, i got to do this and i got to do that and I can't believe I did that yesterday, it's waking out of bed and being like, whew. God is merciful to me. I see, I'm I'm seeing another day. You see the difference? Instead of like starting the day with an attitude, you're starting with, man, God is merciful to me. I get another day. I get another start. I get a fresh start to, to yesterday. I get to start new. Man, that'll pick your spirits up. That'll make Monday morning seem like a roller coaster. Be like, yes, Monday. Some of you guys are like, Monday will never be like that, but Just need to up the caffeine, I don't know. (laughs) But when we focus on God's mercy, it produces something different in us rather than the stress and the strain of what happened in the day prior. So now we're gonna look at this by looking at verse 22 of Lamentations chapter three. Now again, Jeremiah wrote this book and he writes this and he says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. The Greek word for mercies is kased, which means goodness, faithfulness, or kindness. And so even as we look at this passage, in the prior verse, Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah says, I recall to my mind, therefore I hope. Now why is this important? This is important because Jeremiah is saying, in order to have hope, we have to recall to our minds how merciful God is to us. Because here's the thing. You didn't have to wake up today. None of us did. I know there's some of us who would be like, I kind of wish I didn't. But even in that, God is being merciful. Because he's walking with you through whatever you're going through but we didn't have to wake up this morning. We didn't have to drive the car that we drove to get here. We didn't have to get the coffee or the, the food or the breakfast that we're gonna eat or the lunch or the dinner we're gonna have later today, the homes that we go through, the clothes that we have. We didn't have to have any of this. And yet God by his mercy has allowed us to have these things. And you might be thinking, well, it's because I go to work and I earn a paycheck. God allowed you to have that job. So everything that you have right now is a benefit of His mercy. Think about that. Think about that when you wake up in the morning. God, I am in a heated home. I got out of a comfortable bed by your mercy. Thank you, God. But what I want you to remember is this, when Jeremiah writes this, he's not writing this from a place of blessing. He's not writing this from a place of, oh man, my bank account is full and I don't have any problems or any stress. He's writing this from a place of desperation. He's writing this from a place of discipline because of Israel's sin. But what Jeremiah is picking up here is he's saying that even though things are bad, by God's mercy, they're not any worse. That's what he's saying. He's saying by God's mercy, yes, things are bad, but by his mercy, things are not any worse. Now, this is easier said than done. I will admit that to you all day. This is easier said than done to believe this. But this this isn't a feeling. This is an act of faith. Jeremiah is literally taking a step of faith and saying, God, I don't feel like things are good. I don't feel like my circumstances are going well, but by your mercy, I'm holding on to that they could be worse, but they're not. I'm holding on to you, God, that things could be worse, but they're not. Even when we enter a time of loss and we feel like we've lost everything, there are still things that by God's mercy we still have. We may lose everything, but we still have our health. We may lose everything, but we still have those around us. Whatever that may be, it takes an act of faith to say, God, help me acknowledge the places in my life right now where you're being merciful to me. On another note, that'll, that'll be a great cure for bitterness. <laughs> when you acknowledge that God has been merciful to you, even when we've cursed him, even when we've spit in his face with our sin, that God has been merciful to us. So we know that God is merciful to us when we go through hard times, when hard times come upon us, but what about when we bring hard times on ourselves? What about when when because of my mistakes, because of the things that I've done, hard times and difficult circumstances come upon me? It's my fault. Is God merciful to us even in those times? Absolutely. But what happens when when we bring hard times on ourselves? When when the mistakes of our sin bring on difficult circumstances? What happens? What we do is we start to doubt the mercy of God. We begin to think to ourselves, man, I messed up again. There's no way God's going to be merciful to me. God's done with me. I'm going to go sit in the corner until God wants to see me again. Guys, that is a lie of the enemy. It's a complete lie of the enemy. Because God's mercy never fails. God's mercy is unlimited. You may have blown it, you may have messed up, but that doesn't mean that God's mercy has run out on you. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 says this, it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What this is talking about is the God that we serve is not some absent, abstract God. He's not some being outside of what we're facing. He knows the weaknesses that we have. He knows the things that we go through. So therefore, we can come before him boldly. And when it talks about boldly, it means with a boldness. I can come before the God before God at any time of my life, at any time of the day, and receive mercy and help in time of need. That's what that means. It means that God is not ashamed. It means that you're not going to embarrass him, and you're not going to shock him when you come to him and say, God, here I am again. (laughs) It means that when you come before him, he embraces you and says, my son, my daughter, come, take this mercy, take this grace that I have for you. In the Greek, the Greek, the word obtain means lumbano, and it means to take hold of. And what this means is that if we want to embrace God's mercy, we have to take hold of it by recalling it to our minds. Like I said earlier, it's not something that just happens. It's something that we literally have to take hold of. It's a step of faith, even when you don't feel like it. It's not about how we feel. It's about what's true, and what's true is what we find in Scripture, that God is true and that his mercy endures forever, that we can trust in that. Even when we've made the mistakes, even when we brought the circumstances on ourselves, we can trust that God is going to be merciful to us, that he's not going to turn his back on us and tell us to go sit in the corner, but he's going to embrace us as a son and daughter and say, come, sit with me, feast on my mercy, feast on my grace that you can get up again and keep moving forward with what I've called you to do. That's the sweetness of God. That's a sweetness that when you, you stumble, He helps you back up again. He's not sitting on the sidelines somewhere saying, "Well, I hope you can figure this out. I've got other things to do." But let me just say, as a side note, the, distru- the, the, the discipline that the Israelites were facing, even though it was hard, it was also a sign of God's faithfulness. Why is that? When we go through discipline, that's not our our automatic thought, right? When we go through discipline, we're automatically thinking, oh, my gosh, this is hard. I don't want to be here. This is horrible. God, why? We naturally think those things. But God's discipline is actually evidence of his faithfulness. Why? Because if he's faithful to discipline you, he's faithful to restore and heal you. So the Israelites could take hope that even though things are hard, they're not going to stay here. You may be in a place right now where you feel like God is disciplining you. Maybe decisions you've made or maybe you're going through hard times, whatever it may be. If God is faithful to discipline, he is going to be faithful to restore and heal you. Therefore, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you can have a smile on your face because even though things are hard now, they're not always going to be that way. Isn't that produce a hope? Isn't that a sweet thing, knowing that God doesn't just leave us there? He's not the kind of God who just disciplines us and leaves us to pick ourselves up. But if he's faithful to discipline, he's faithful to restore and bring healing. The question then becomes, does God's mercy ever run out? The answer is no. Why? Because his compassions fail not. In Hebrew, the word compassions means the state or condition of receiving favor. His compassions means that we are constantly in a state of favor with God. Isn't that sweet? Some of us sitting here today are thinking that God is looking down on you or us with an attitude or kind of that disdain or a look of, oh, man, I'm just sick of you. But from what we see in Scripture, we know that that is not true. In fact, we know that from what we just read in the text, that God's mercy, God's compassion for us never fails, In fact, that God is looking at each and every one of us here and even at Creekside with favor. God is looking at you with favor. You are in his favor right now. He knows what you did yesterday, he knows what kind of year you had. But even though all those things happened, you are sitting here in the favor of God. Isn't that sweet? That's a blessing to know that no matter what I do, God's favor for me is constant and never ending. Now, you might be thinking, how can that be? How can can his compassions for me never fail? What I want us to understand is when we talk about compassions, we're not talking about human compassion. We're not talking about compassion from the standpoint of human perspective. We're talking about God. Now, for example, we all know that our compassions fail, right? Hang out with that person who frustrates you, and you will see how fast your compassions fail. You know, we all have that breaking point where we're like, if you say one more word, all it is, is going to be in your face. <laughs> we all have that point of our lives. But the beautiful thing is that God doesn't experience this. In our minds, we think God must be mad at me. He must hate me right now. No, he does not. His compassions never fail. We can rebel against him. We can test him. We can frustrate him. But here's the truth, is that even at the darkest points of our lives, God is always the first one to rush in and be by our side without hesitation. No matter what we do, Guys, I'm just just telling you from experience. If you don't know, you're going to find out. God doesn't leave you. So many times in my life where I have thrown my sin in his face, just flat out trampled his name with my sin. And God, in that moment, rushes to my side. He rushes to your side and says, son, daughter, this is not who you are let's get up and move from here. I'm with you, I'm committed to you. I mean, man, if that doesn't produce a hope in you, man, you, you ought, you're probably dead. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> He's with us. That's the compassion of God. So let's look at verse 23. It says, they, speaking of God's mercy, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, for me, this is probably one of my favorite passages, that God's mercies for us are new every morning. Every morning. So when we talk about that fresh New Year feeling, it's it's not just available at the New Year, it's available each and every day. God's mercies for us are brand new every single morning. So when you roll out of bed, God's mercies are fresh and new for you every single morning. That's a sweet thing. But let's break down what this means. What Jeremiah is basically saying is he's saying that God has already given us an unlimited amount of mercy. But every morning, he gives us fresh mercy. You see what I'm saying? It's like adding to the pile of mercy that He's already given us. He sprinkles on a little more. Every day sprinkles on a little more. Fresh mercy, fresh mercy, fresh mercy. Psalms 30 verse 5 says this, it says, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Oh my gosh. I love that. Because I know the mistakes that I've made, that I continue to make. And to wake up every morning and know that God doesn't have any recollection of what I did yesterday. God's not holding that against me but he's giving me fresh mercy for the day ahead is a sweet feeling. Now I just want to point out and say that this doesn't, God's mercies are not new for us when we get our life together. God's mercies are not new for us when we have all the answers and we figured everything out and oh well God I got up and I spent time in the Bible and I prayed so you know, your your mercies are fresh for me. No. His mercies are unlimited and they're unconditional. There's nothing that you can do to earn his mercy. He freely gives it. So when you wake out of bed, God's right there with some mercy for you to freely take, for you to freely have. So it doesn't matter the kind of day you had yesterday. It doesn't matter the kind of year you've had. His mercy is fresh and available to each and every one of us right here, right now, and for you at Creekside. Psalms 136, verse 26 says this. It says, oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. So to sum up our first tip, let's remember to begin each day with fresh mercy because God's mercy is free for the taking. It's unending and fresh for us every day. When we do this, when we begin our day with fresh mercy, it will produce a hope in us that even though everything around us may seem negative, we can have hope to move forward because we know that God is merciful with us. All right, so that was tip number one. Are you ready for tip number two? Are you ready for tip number two? All right. Tip number two is hold on to your portion. Let's look at verse 24. Verse 24 says this, the Lord is my portion says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Now, Jeremiah is the one who wrote this, but what does he mean when he says, the Lord is my portion? What he's doing here is he's making a statement of ownership. He's basically saying the Lord is mine. Now, he's not talking about from a materialistic standpoint. He's not saying that God is mine so I can manipulate him and do with him whatever I want. What he's talking about is a place of relationship. When he says the Lord is my portion, he's saying the Lord is mine. For example, in marriage, a husband and wife belong to each other, but not in a materialistic way. They cannot abuse and use each other and just throw each other away. It's, it's when they say it's, they belong to each other, it's from a relational standpoint. It's from a deep standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint that they belong to each other. It's not a materialistic thing. But what Jeremiah is talking about is that if the Lord is his, and he is his portion, then Jeremiah can have hope. And Jeremiah is willing to hope. One biblical commentator once said this. He said, I have that which is sufficient to balance all my troubles and make up for all my losses. For while portions of the earth are empty and perishing things, God is an all-sufficient and durable portion. What this is talking about is that the things of the world are going to fade. Your bank account is going to fade. The house you have is going to fade. The status, reputation is going to fade. But God will not fade. He is an all-sufficient and durable portion that will not fade or go away. He is something that we can rely on, place our feet firmly planted on. That's the kind of portion that we have in him. But what I want to point out to you is this small thing, which is actually a pretty big thing. In verse 24, if we look there again, Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Jeremiah is saying this from a soul desire, a deep place inside of him. It's not head knowledge. You see, sometimes we say God is my everything, God is my portion, but all it is is head knowledge. And if your head knowledge is not the same as what you believe in your heart, it don't mean anything. Because when you go through something difficult, you're going to follow what you believe in your heart rather than what you know in your head. So when he says that, that I believe that the Lord is my portion, says my soul, it's not head knowledge. It's not, well, I know that to be true. It's I believe that. I know that. So I'm going to walk in that. And see, sometimes as the church, we, we, we struggle with that, Right? We know that God is our portion. We know that God has given us his son. We know that we're forgiven, but what we believe in our heart is what we follow through with. So our our knowledge of God can't just be head knowledge. It may start there, but it's got to trickle down to our heart. Now, how does God do that? God does that by bringing us through situations where we have no choice but to depend on him. And when we depend on him and he comes through for us, then that's when head knowledge becomes heart knowledge. And it becomes real. It becomes a belief. It becomes a foundation that we stand on. So when we go through hard times, it's not what's up here that saves us, but what we believe in here. An example of this is the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. You don't have to turn there. I'll just summarize it with you. But Hannah was a woman of God. She was married to a man named Elkanah. And Elkanah had uh, he had two wives, and back then that was kind of a thing. So can't justify it, (laughs) but he had two wives. One of them was Hannah, the other one was Peninnah. Now this family they would go to they would go worship the Lord every year in Shiloh, and every year Elkanah, the husband, would give portions to his wives. Now to one of his wives, Peninnah, he would give her a big portion. Because she had a whole lot of kids. She had like a whole nursery of kids. So he would give her a big portion. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved her. But one of the main reasons why he gave Hannah a double portion was because the Lord had closed her womb. In other words, she couldn't conceive. She didn't have any children. And as we read in this story, we read of something kind of dark and kind of twisted. Because Peninnah, the second wife would tease Hannah because she couldn't have kids. That's messed up. In fact, the scripture says that Peninnah was Hannah's rival. That's how bitter and messed up this relationship was. She would tease her because she couldn't have any children. We read on and the scripture talks about that Hannah came to a breaking point. And as you can imagine, she probably thought and asked God, God, why don't I have any kids? Why haven't you given me the son that I wanted? What, when are you going to come through for me? Don't you hear this woman teasing me and making fun of me, making my life miserable? Don't you see? When are you going to come through? That's the crazy thing about God, is that sometimes when we face or when we encounter hostility like this, we think that God doesn't see it. When people mistreat us or treat us wrongly, we think that God is absent, that he's distant, but it, he's not. God knows what that person said to you. God knows what that person did to you. And I can guarantee you that our just God is not going to let them get away with it. That he brings justice. That's why they call him a just God. We don't know if it will happen here, but we know that he'll stand before God one day and be judged. So Hannah's here and she's saying, God, what what am I going to do? And so at her breaking point, she goes to the Lord in prayer. And it talks about Hannah entered the temple of God and got on her knees and began to pray. Now I'm not talking about one of these cute prayers like, oh God, I just need you today, amen, thank you. Hope you're having a great day. I'm not talking about any of that. But when Hannah went before the Lord, she was weeping, she was crying out, she was in anguish, she was deep in prayer, bearing her heart before the Lord because of this issue. She was saying, God, my life feels like it's lacking because I don't have this thing. I don't have this son. God, what's going on? In fact, this is what she prayed to the Lord. She said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head." Now, I'm not advocating that you go out and make deals with the Lord so that he gives you what you want. But what I am saying is this. When Hannah felt like her life was lacking, when she felt like she didn't have enough, where did she go? She went before the Lord. And men, I cannot tell you how beneficial it is for each of us. For those of you who believe in Jesus, when you feel like your life is lacking, go before the Lord because he will act and he will move. But one of the things that I want to point out is this. We know that Hannah is praying for a son, right? You guys with me? She's praying for a son. But one of the things I want you to know is in the first line of her prayer, she says this, O Lord, if. She says, if. And as she goes through the prayer, There's not one time she doesn't say, God, if you don't give this to me, I'm running away. But she says, I am your maidservant. So what she's saying here is that God, if you choose to give me a son, I'm gonna still serve you. I'm gonna still be your maidservant. I'm still going to find that you are my satisfaction and that you are enough for me. God, I may not get this desire, but if you will, I will give him to you that he may serve you his entire life. But if you don't, I'm still going to be your maidservant. I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to be loyal to you if you choose not to give me this son. Isn't that crazy? That she would pray something like this? That she would say these things? In verse 18 in that same chapter, it says that after her time of prayer that she left and her face was no longer sad. Now, was her face no longer sad because God said in that moment, you will have a son? No. Hannah left with her face no longer sad because she knew that the one she went to was her everything and that he was enough even if she didn't get the desire of having her son. Some of you are sitting here right now looking for God to fulfill the desires of your heart without realizing that he has already fulfilled you. And as long as you're looking to something else to fulfill you, you will never receive it. Because the issue is not what you don't have, it's what you already have. And when we acknowledge that God, you are the one, that is my portion, I am satisfied in you alone, things begin to happen. Just like with Hannah here. Now, when we continue to look at this story, Hannah eventually becomes pregnant. It's all great. She has a male son. She names him Samuel, the, the, you know, the one after the, the whole book is written out of. <laughs> Samuel is a big deal because he becomes a judge in Israel, and he even ordains King David to be king over Israel, so he's a big deal. But none of that would have happened if she wasn't willing to sit there and acknowledge And to know that, man, God, if you give me this, great. If you don't give me this, you're still my portion. You're still enough for me. I'm satisfied in you. Now, I don't want to say that from a point of like, you know, come on, you should know this by now. But what I'm trying to say is that this is a journey. We don't find out that God is enough for us because it just happens. We find out God is enough for us because we're put in positions where we have no choice but to trust in him. And now sometimes we think that's, that's mean of God, right? We think, God, why would you allow me to go through something where all I have is you? Everything else is taken away from me. But what God is doing is he's producing something in you. He's helping us mature and to grow in our depth and trust in him. Because if we don't, we're not going to be ready for what God has coming for us. We're not even going to be ready to receive the desire we're asking him for if we're not willing to be first content in him alone. So sometimes it's a matter of realigning our our priorities and saying, God, I really do want this thing, but if you choose not to give it to me, I'm satisfied in you alone. And you'll be surprised what God does when we're willing to do that. So even as we look at this, the question becomes, if God had removed everything from our lives, would we be content in him? Psalm 73 verse 26 says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. To me, this inspires hope in me because it means that no matter what weakness I have, no matter what unanswered questions are in my life, if I have the Lord, I'm good. Like I don't have anything to worry about because God's got me. And if I believe that and walk in that, I'm not gonna have a lacking life, but I'm going to find the fulfillment that only comes from a relationship with Jesus. So to sum up tip number two, It's hold on to your portion. So in the next year, when you feel like your life is lacking, hold on to your portion. Hold on to the Lord, and he will show you that he is enough for you. Some of you right now need to know that. You may be searching for satisfaction. You may be searching for yourself to be enough when you look in the mirror, whatever that may be. And all the things the world has to offer, those things will never satisfy you. They will never help. Now, and I'm not just saying that from a a Christianese point of view. I'm saying that from tested, tried and true experiments. (laughs) When you look to the world to satisfy you, it feels good for a moment. I will admit that. It feels good for a moment. You're like, all right. Like when, if you're a gym addict and you're just like, man, I just got to get in shape and that's when I'll finally feel good about myself. Man, you're not going to feel good about yourself. You'll feel good for a moment. Yeah, I admit, there's nothing wrong with being healthy. But if that's where you find your confidence, you will be let down. But when we find that that in God alone we have enough, we're good. Isn't that sweet? Let's look at our third tip. You guys ready? All right. Our third tip is wait on the Lord. Now, I find it interesting that the word wait is also a four letter word and like other four letter words we don't like hearing it very often some of you guys are like i don't know if that was offensive or not i don't know what he's talking about but that's true we don't like hearing the word wait when you're in that moment of you're like it's got to happen now i gotta have it now i gotta have it now and someone says hey you need to wait you're like no you didn't it's fighting time we freak out right We get all angry because someone tells us to wait and we can't have what we want. Right here, right now. But here's the thing. Good things come to those who? So when we think about waiting on the Lord, this is an important thing. Let's look at verse 25 of Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations 3 verse 25. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. You see, this concept of waiting is something that's not foreign to the Bible. It's actually all through the Bible. When we think about Abraham and Sarah, they had to wait 25 years before they could hold their son Isaac. Even when we think about Moses, Moses knew that he was the savior of his people, that he was gonna lead them out of the land of Egypt but he had to wait 40 years in the desert, not in a hotel, a desert, before God made that happen. And so the word wait in Hebrew, it means to put your hope in or to hope for. In other words, it means we're looking forward to something that hasn't happened yet. Now, what I'm talking about is with prayer. When we go to God and we ask him for direction, we ask him for provision or even answers or Or for God to help us. When we go to God, we got to be willing to wait for his answer. Now, when I say the word wait, it's kind of a foreign concept for us, right? Because in our minds, naturally, it's just like, but God is all powerful. God is like amazing. So why do I have to wait? Does he walk slow? Like, why? Why do I need to wait on the Lord? But here's the thing. God does something in us when we choose to wait on him. We may not understand it, but he's working in us something that is bigger than the answer to our prayers. But what happens when God wants us to wait? We get frustrated. You ever have that moment in your life where you come to God and you're like, God, it has to happen now. If you don't come through for me next week, it's, it's, it's just, it's gonna be bad, God. I need you, please come through. And you say, you're, and you say the, the, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I sent it to you, Lord. Okay, good. God will come through when I need him to. Okay, it's going to be tomorrow at 2.30, so i got to be prepared. Okay, he knows how time-sensitive this is, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. And then 2.31 comes around, and you're like, God, I mean, I, I, I asked you yesterday nicely, so I said please, too. I mean, I got up and read the scriptures. See, I was nice today. And we get frustrated. Why? Because we're not praying from a point of God, may your will be done. We're praying from a point of may my will be done. May my will be done and on my timeline. So God, if you don't come in on my timeline, I'm done with you. That's not how prayer works. That's not how waiting on the Lord works. To bring God a request and say, God, by 2.30 tomorrow, this needs to be done. That's not how things work. Sorry. But when we bring our request to God, yes, He listens, yes, He answers, but He also wants us to wait. Why? Because our hearts are more important than the answer to our prayer. What God does in you in the process of waiting is make you ready for the answer He's about to bring. So when we try to forego the process so we can just get whatever we want right here and now, we're cheating ourselves. And God knows that. So when you come before him and say, God, it has to be done by 2.30 tomorrow, he's like, cool, I'll get there. Why? Because he wants that process to happen. He wants you to learn and grow and know that he is good, that he is faithful. But he also wants us to know that he's king and we are not. So God will show us that I'm gonna come through for you, yes. I hear your prayer, yes. Yes but it's gonna be on my time so that you know that I am your God, not you. That's a crazy thing. (laughs) That's a crazy thing to experience because we can get frustrated with that. But here's the thing. God may not come through on your timeline, but I can guarantee you that when he does come through for you, he's always on time. I mean, I'm telling you, man, there, there are times in my life where I was like, God, it needs to happen now. And God was like, cool. And then it happened after the deadline. And you know what? It was like, I wasn't sitting there from a point of like, God, this could have happened earlier. Don't know what you were doing up there. It was, man, God, if you had done it when I wanted you to do it, the result would have been different. It wouldn't have been as good. It wouldn't have been as sweet. But because you followed your timeline, God, I'm benefiting the most from that. We have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to wait for you. Even when it comes to things like singleness, being willing to say, God, you know I want a relationship. But being willing to say, God, I'm going to wait for you, though. I'm not going to jump the gun. I'm not going to run ahead of you. Not just even with relationships, even with whatever it is. You, You fill in the blank. Being willing to wait on him deepens our trust in him so that we know that he's good to us and that his timing is always perfect. So, to sum up our third point, remember to wait on the Lord. Remember to wait on him in trusting expectation because God is going to show you that he's good when he comes through right on time. So, in conclusion, Like you, I'm excited about the new year. I am, I promise you. But I honestly don't want us to be ignorant of the challenges that are gonna come in 2019. But the good news is this, that God in his mercy in his grace sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again. And because the tomb is empty, we have a hope that is unbreakable. And if we have that hope, we will overcome anything that happens in 2019. That's a beautiful thing. That's the hope that we have. So just as a recap, I wanna give you those points again. They are, tip number one, begin each day with fresh mercy. Tip number two, hold on to your portion. Tip number three, wait on the Lord. Like I said earlier, these tips are simple. But if followed, they will remind you of the hope you have in Jesus for the new year.
1: Grace, mercy, loving kindness. These are the words that should rise in our hearts as the sun rises on our mornings. That's one great takeaway from what we've heard today in this podcast. You've been listening to the weekly podcast from the pulpit of Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs, where Al Pittman serves as senior pastor. In this message, Pastor Nathan Pittman has presented an excellent message for 2019. Hope for the New Year has been the title. We hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and keep current with our weekly teachings from our church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And if you want access to a full archive of teachings from Calvary Worship Center, click in at cwccs.org and look under media. That's also where you'll find full information about our church in Colorado Springs and you'll have the opportunity to support this ministry financially. That's cwccs.org click under give stay in touch weekly for the updated podcast right here with the teachings of Al Pittman. Thanks for joining us. This podcast has been presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.